0: Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Wise Content Creates Wealth. You've heard that content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Wise content requires analysis and use of data to inform decisions about what to create and how to promote it. Using knowledge and tools such as behavioral science, artificial intelligence, semantic research, and influence or co-creation amongst others, are necessary to make a meaning, meaningful impact on content produced and its resulting effectiveness. This podcast investigates the people, the science, the techniques, tactics, stories, case studies, and tools that make wise content successful. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, and I'm a marketing technology expert who's built a multi million dollar company. I'm also an award winning content producer. Be sure to go to wisecontentcreateswealth.com to sign up for my newsletter and get access to resources to help you produce wise content and know about more about upcoming episodes and webinars. My company is GalileoTechMedia.com. and It's a leading SEO and content marketing firm specializing in the travel industry, multi-location businesses, uh, financial uh, software as a service, and uh, real estate. Uh, today, we're going to talk about AI's role in predicting decisions, especially creative decisions for future ad campaigns. But first, I'm just going to give you a little anecdote about wise content. Sometimes, you know, you don't know well, content is wise until after the fact. <laughs> so, uh, and it's analyzing what its result is, is where you find the wisdom. Uh, and it, it's actually in my own personal business endeavors to so just today um another podcast called gateway to the smokies i own a uh motel slash resort in the smoky mountains of north carolina in fact it uh it was my homestead growing up but now i have uh taken it over along with my wife and we're uh been renovating it and, and trying to build it into something in a town that had seen some better times um but uh, which seemed to be you know Happening now. It's called Maggie Valley, North Carolina. So anyway, this podcast, I would have interesting people come on to talk about various aspects of the cultures of the Smoky Mountains. And I had a, a man on there named Bob plot who is um family brought the plot hound to North Carolina. Uh, and actually to the United States, and it's a state dog of North Carolina. So I thought that would be an interesting um, uh, you know, a uh, segment for the show. So he comes on, and we have a nice conversation. So, analyzing after the fact, both on the site and podcasts, I realized that boy, there was a huge jump in people listening and downloading the podcast, and also going to, go to the website to read more information. And I had to investigate why. And I talked to Bob uh, about that, and he said, "There's actually a very active and big community." uh that loves these dogs and there's also a bear hunting community and there's a netflix show called meat eater and, and all sorts of stuff so i said well we should uh, do something and he said there used to be a, a festival in maggie valley but that was years ago and i said well we should do something at our place because we're trying to do events and, and so we agreed so we set up and started doing it and today is the launch of that event well what's a, what's really fantastic about that is we've actually Filled up a place. We had a lot of people coming here. And normally, uh, to, normally, if we had a rainstorm coming into this city because of, you know, things like a hurricane, everybody would be canceling the reservations. There's no reservations being canceled. People are showing up in droves to be part of this. Uh, and not only that, we had uh, inter- introduced a heritage club. You know, it was a motel club for people to join in, get discounts on their rooms and future things. And they're signing up for that. So in my, in my book, it's analyzing it and taking action based upon the, what you find out from the content that you did. Maybe it's just sort of the standard routine content, but it has an outsized response to what uh, you were expecting is is also wise content because you're taking wise actions after you see some content react. So anyway, um, today, my guest is R.J. Taylor. Uh, R.J. Taylor. Is the CEO and founder of Pattern Eighty Nine, an AI platform for digital marketing. Pattern Eighty Nine analyzes ads across forty-nine thousand creative dimensions, and dimensions, <laughs> and five hundred billion marketing data points to predict which creative decisions will perform for future campaigns. R.J. has been recognized as one of the Indianapolis Business Journal's 40 Under 40.
1: How are you doing, R.J.? I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, so- sounds like uh, I need to be where you are in North Carolina. Yeah. We need to talk about that. Uh, your new resort. I need to get down there.
0: Well, it's, it's not exactly new. It's 70 years old, but we've been renovating. You do need to come down and visit. Yeah.
1: It, it sounds called, even better.
0: It's called the Metal Arc Motel in Maggie Valley. So if you get a chance, yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's a classic roadside uh, motel. We got a little age on it, but we've been uh, 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 renovating it, and, uh, you know, it, uh, and it's got an evolution going. We're trying to maintain sort of the original charm as much as we Love can. Um, so I see that you've got some interesting things going on in your life. You're a champion, national championship swimmer. What was that? When, when were you a national championship swimmer?
1: Oh, I, you know what? Um, I've, I swam in college uh, and I've swum with the USMS, the US Master Swimming Group since then. So it's been about 20 years. Across that time, I've won a few different national championships, uh, mostly uh, open water. So meaning where you swim like three miles across a lake. Or something like that so um you just you don't have to swim fast you just have to outlast your competitors <laughs> that's, uh, that's what i'm best at
0: ah <laughs> uh-huh, just outlast your competitors okay. hopefully that works in business too right yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: many lessons yeah.
0: Yeah. are you gonna be in an Ironman competition then that, that would be something that, you uh
1: I've actually done um, some, uh, um, some relays. So I can team up with a really good biker and a good runner. I am a good swimmer and I am a terrible biker and an even worse runner. So maybe, but I'll just do a relay. You'll just do the relay part. That's good. That's right. All right.
0: So you're, 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 you know, I have, I have, I have, I'm in my second rodeo. I have a 28 year old son, but I have now two and a half year old twins. I see that you're a father of four. How's that handle? How are you doing handling that?
1: Well, it's, um, let's just say I'm, I'm, I'm working from home and I've got the door locked. Um, so, uh, they, they run from age nine to three, I've got three boys and a girl and, um, they're wonderful, but, uh, um, they, they are, uh, always up to something, um, it typically, uh, involves shovels and, uh, ropes and, uh, you know, bugs and whatever they can find outside ants
0: ants right now it's ants
1: (laughs) yeah for sure for sure Yeah, lots of bees they like to trap bees so it's 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 a wild ride but it's pretty fun
0: and then i saw another opportunity to promote my resort when i saw another one of your uh one of your uh points uh of interest you know the smoky mountains is great for bird watching right it's like got hundreds of species unique species
1: and you're a bird watcher have you ever been to the smoky mountains I have, I bet, yeah, I've been fishing in the Smokies before, but never bird watching. And I'll tell you, it's my kind of my COVID hobby. Um, and uh, I just started getting more and more bird feeders around my house, and um, it's turned into kind of a, a family pastime at this point. Um, and uh, but yeah, with I mean, I, again, it sounds like I need to book a trip right now uh, right, to right, your, right. your to your uh, to your motel, and um, we can we can do some of that together. That'd be great.
0: Listen. Whenever I'm here, I see at least ten different birds or colors I don't even recognize. You know, it's mm-hmm. always like a bunch of different things. So, That's cool. uh, definitely, uh, you know, I'm, 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 it's on my mind because I'm here now. I'm usually in New York City, um, mm-hmm. but uh, right now I'm in uh, in, uh, in the mountains, and you know, and you can see I have good enough internet here. Yeah, <laughs> and and now I hope or pray it doesn't go down. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. but anyway, <laughs> so. Uh, I was, I saw, uh, so I was going to talk about your resume. So I saw your resume. You were with exact, you know, you came out of college, got into, you know, some companies, you got into exact target, which grew grew and grew and grew. And you grew with it like for Uh nine years and it was acquired for Salesforce for 2.5 billion. And then you were there for a little while after um but that's not the thing that interested me I I, yeah I want you to tell me a little bit about that but what interests me is that you got a master of fine arts in English at the same time at Debal University now why how did you yeah
1: you know you know when I graduated from college people would ask me what do you want to do with your life you know everybody asks that question and I always answer the question as I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to be a professor and um, it seems like kind of you gotta pick one of those two, and I didn't. Um, and instead, I said I want to do both. And so when I was working at Exact Target, I learned all about entrepreneurship, about tech, um, and at the same time, I, that I was kind of nagging. That other side of me was nagging. So I um, got into the um, MFA in, in English program at Purdue. And uh, I live in Indianapolis, which is just about an hour and 20 minutes. So I would just commute up there to sometimes three days a week. And because I was working in tech, I could work from the Panera or from the student union building and take classes and do both. And I was single at the time. So I just worked and uh, went to school for three years and got that master's degree. And it's kind of amazing how what I learned from a creativity focused, uh, creative focused master's degree, and then my experience in tech have blended together with um, you know, blended together in kind of an amazing way, and it's really helped with pattern eighty nine because that's where we fuse. I mean, we're jumping ahead on the resume, but um, you know, I I I had someone tell me, you know, the old cliche: you don't have to think in black and white; you can actually think in gray. And yeah. so I, I I did that and, and pursued both, and um, it was a, it was a lot I, of work.
0: I, I recommend it. You know, when I did my first dot com uh, yeah. back in the late nineties, at the same time I was also pursuing arts. And, and, and essentially, the first time I raised a few million dollars, I also got a piece of artwork into a museum. Oh, cool. So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so uh, you know, I think that that gives you a great satisfaction in life to uh, be, have multiple things be, uh, you, know, uh, you know, stimulate your interest.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a good yin and yang that are closer, I think, than, um, than, than what people think. You know because I think you think you have to go one way or the other but they actually are, are nicely overlapped
0: well if you're, is your understanding that you learned of English uh, applicable to understanding content is it important do you think
1: yeah yeah totally I mean you know my, my experience on um, you know on the content side has always been the digital distribution of it so um, you know the exact, exact target was around emails email you know email marketing and then it was around landing pages and about microsites. And then I got into the mobile space around how do you shrink content to text messaging or MMS or mobile um, apps, that type of stuff. And so it's all about how do we get that content into the format that people want to uh, um, receive it and, you know, along the journey there with your customers. So it's, um, it, it is tightly aligned um, fr- from my perspective and, uh, you know, getting creative in the ways that you're saying the same thing across multiple formats is, is kind of the name of the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, in our, in my, in, you know, my business, you know, the, you know, when you, you know, even the simple things that people think about, like doing, um, doing link building, you know, there's so many people out there doing link building with really bad content, really bad, written, badly written emails, and badly written, um, you know, uh, 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 posts to go with it. It, right. it can, it can, you know, the reason that people don't have success a lot of times is because of the English, the the story, whatever's being yeah. told, is not well done. So uh, I would think an English, uh, English uh, MFA in English would be great at telling those stories.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's um uh um it's about storytelling. It's about economy of words. It's about efficiency. It's about not sounding like a robot, yeah. um, and not sounding clunky. Um, and then on the other side of it, you know, with with any degree like that, you do a ton of reading, like just a, almost more than you can handle, and so. You um, know, these new technical protocols come out. It's just about reading the stuff and then yeah. distilling it down into that content that they can distribute. So, one of the things I did while I was at Exact Target was I became an expert in CAN-SPAM, the CAN-SPAM legislation, uh-huh. and then um, also in all the text messaging legislation um, and uh, all the protocols and that type of stuff. And so, it's just about reading it and then distilling it into three to five bullet points that marketers want to digest. And um. All right. So, um, so when we come
0: back, uh, I want to talk about what pattern 89 is. All right. We might as well get into the meat of uh, what you're doing these days and how you got there. Hey, how are you doing? This is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with the "Wise Content Creates Wealth" podcast with my guest R.J. Taylor. Hey, R.J., do you go by R.J. or is there another name there?
1: Yeah, R.J. all the time. I, I my first name is actually Roy, but that's my dad, so I'm, I'm okay. R.J. since birth. Yeah. All
0: right. So you've been uh, you've been helping a company become a billion dollar company. You've been uh, hanging out with Salesforce. You've been watching birds. And- <laughs> The MFA's and things, and you know, now all of a sudden you decide to form your own company. How come you decided to do that?
1: Well, for, you know, for, for two reasons. One is when I graduated from college, I, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And that's truly like whatever that part of your gut tells you to do something. That's what I felt like it was telling me to do. And then the second is because after working at Salesforce and a few other startups, I just knew that there was this gap in the market. And it was the blend of creativity and AI that we could solve. Um, A lot of marketers and content producers use a lot of A-B testing or multivariate testing approaches to figure out what to do. And with, you know, I knew that you could solve it better with uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. So, you know, felt like a good combination of the opportunity and uh, what I wanted to do with this part of my life.
0: So what is the elevator pitch of of Pattern 89 that you, that uh, gets somebody to buy you?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, at Pattern 89, we predict creative performance. And what we do is understand what worked about your creative and what will work for your upcoming creative. And rather than using an AB test or multivariate test to kind of iterate yourself into that winner, we look across 49,000 different aspects of your creative and then provide you with the recipe of what's going to work. Mm-hmm. and uh those dimensions are everything like a, a good example is a, a a customer who wants to sell couches tries to understand right should we put a gray couch or a blue couch in a picture mm-hmm. should we have a gray couch with an orange blanket or should be a blue couch with a green blanket and should there be humans on that couch should there be a man and a woman a man and a man three women should they have a dog in their lap a cat should there be a window, a lamp, like all these different creative decisions are made by a human today. And humans have good ideas, but we often get them wrong in terms of what's going to drive the clicks or the purchases or the engagements that we want. And so what Pattern 89 does is it identifies the recipe for that creative that's going to drive the best result for you.
0: I imagine that's really great creatives in the, for creatives in a corporate setting because they can answer the CFO who says, yeah, I want... Uh, I want a, a baby instead of a grandma in that picture. Well, the baby tests better, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of times, marketers will use um, focus groups to answer some of these questions. But of course, the focus group is limited to the eight or ten people that are in the focus group. Or they'll go to the um, you know the, the client if they're an agency and say, "Hey, what do you think? Or what do you like? Um, or they'll you know, go on an educated guess and with COVID in the last, you know, 15 to 18 months of thing, it's that there's a lot of unpredictability out there um, across all aspects of things. And so what has worked in the past not is not necessarily going to work in the future. So we can replace all of those inefficient ways of making decisions with predictive power from um, artificial intelligence that, you know, humans can come up with the ideas, but the machines can do all of the investigation of massive amounts of data and find patterns and outliers that we can't see.
0: And you say you have five 500- hundred. Billion points of data, and I, you know, I think it's important for somebody wanting to understand why it's content and how data it mm-hmm. works for. How how do you get that kind of data?
1: Yeah, well, um, what we do is we connect into over seven thousand brands' accounts, so when they connect to Pattern eighty nine. We give them a free, we call it a SWAT report: strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. They're free creative. Um, spot report in exchange for access to the creative and then the performance data of that creative. And it's all anonymized so that that customer was telling you about if they wanted to know is it a blue couch or a gray couch, we can look across over 7,000 brands worth of data, over 500 billion creative data points and find all the blue couches and all the gray couches, all the green couches, all the red couches, all the yellow couches, all of the couches and then understand what is it about the picture with a couch in it that's driving its performance up or down, and then s- s- spell that back to every customer um, based on this massive data sets, so a half a trillion data points, rather than only their data alone, which may or may not be statistically significant. So we look across that larger data set just by it's a two click process to get a, a customer or prospect connected to our platform. Super simple. And then you get the creative squat, and then we go from there.
0: Now. Um- so you have data, but you and you have machine learning. I mean, mm-hmm. how, so it's learning. What? How is it learning? Is I mean, is there some success points that it sees and then analyzes the data to figure out how it got to that success point?
1: Yes. Yeah. Every day um, we rerun our models. So our models are looking across forty nine thousand different creative dimensions. So like today, looking at all those blue couches and all the gray couches and orange and red and yellow, whatever, and then it looks at tomorrow. And it looks at the next day and it reruns every day and then it looks at all of the tuesdays versus all the wednesdays all the thursdays all the tuesdays in july versus all the tuesdays in holiday season versus tuesdays in the spring and it understands seasonal patterns day of the week patterns um, as well as what um, came before and after to then understand all right things are in the pattern they're trending in the same way that we normally do or or they're different for the pattern. And that does change day of week, time of day, um, seasons, um, all of those different dimensions. And because we're looking at 49,000 different points, we can find things like, oh, looks like the color red is trending up um, over the last three days. And we predict that it's going to perform a little bit better over the weekend, those types of things. Or grandmas are coming back. Or creative with people in masks are on the way up. Or fireworks are in, or those types of things. So the,
0: the success is based upon what uh, awareness or how how much how often people interact, or is, that, is there any financial uh, success tied
1: in? Yes, yeah, so we we can hook into any success metric that the customer is interested in. So sometimes they're reach and frequency objectives, like a CPM. Sometimes they are a click or a video view metric. Um, sometimes they're like app downloads. Sometimes they're email signups. Many of our customers are retailers who care about sales or return on ad spend so it's any metric that you care about and because we have enough data across that half a trillion data points we can um, make statistically significant predictions across any outcome that you care about so you just define what that metric is at the front cool
0: well yeah. it must have been it must have been a challenge to get all those metrics i read somewhere that you actually You guys went out and got your, you know, by sort of brute force method, your first 500 customers. It wasn't like you just went somewhere and got 500 people to give you all that
1: data. Yeah, I mean, I I joke that I went door to door, (laughs) Um, (laughs) virtual door to virtual door, but uh, I called up a bunch of customers that I used to work with and said, hey, I'm building this new platform. We're gonna be anonymizing data. And the only way this works is if we um, get a large enough data set, would you give me access to that anonymized creative data and performance data? And In exchange, I'll give you a report. So did that a, a bunch of times and then we built a system that did it. So it's uh, it was definitely a brute force. Um, how, long work,
0: you, how long did it take you to get that? that, that about,
1: two, about two years.
0: Really? So you really spent two years just yeah. For-
1: To get to to there, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So we've been business uh, almost four and a half years. So since that two year point, we've been really, really um, going strong because we now have enough data that we can make predictions that customers care about.
0: Well, is there any prediction that you're particularly proud of that was success for somebody?
1: Well, you know. uh we worked with um yeah so a a bunch of them actually Um, we worked with a number of brands to get them back on track after covid decimated their businesses to understand how to actually get the lowest cost for their performance um brands ranging from um, fitness brands whose businesses truly were decimated um some uh um, restaurants um, as well as retailers as they went online so we could identify everything from whether or not they should have a mask present in their ad um, to uh, what are the things that are actually trending up. But I think actually helping people through this pandemic time is what I'm most proud of.
0: Well, all right. That's a great story, actually. Um, so who, so I, I know there's always competitors. Who do you think is your, your competitors in this space?
1: Well, I mean, today uh, there's kind of three categories of competitors. Our first is humans. And it's sort of ironic because we actually help humans become more creative, but a lot of times you view what we do as directly competitive with the human decisions that they're making, Um, but we can free up humans to make more creative strategic decisions. So having them parse through massive spreadsheets, um, we can help them to to figure out instead how to create, how to be more creative. So that's that's the first. And then um, the second are these big AI AI systems like, um, you know, IBM Watson or um, Salesforce Einstein. Um, There's lots of big, powerful AI systems out there that haven't been trained on the creative data set yet. So uh, we see them um, sometimes come up as competitors. And then the third set are other uh, AI startups that are doing similar things to what we're doing, answering the creative questions. So um, we're we're excited about them because they're pushing us for sure. So, um, but yeah, those are the three types of competitors we see.
0: Is Market Muse one that's slightly a competitor, or is that uh, am I misreading, misreading that one? Market Muse. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, um, yeah, potentially. I'm not familiar with them, but um, they, they 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 may be uh, a competitor on the creative side for sure.
0: All right, cool. Well, you know, when we come back, I want to pick your brain about AI and content and marketing in general, and let's uh, you know talk about what might happen in the industry and, and where you guys maybe see the future. Love it. Hello, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast and my guest, RJ Taylor. So, RJ, um, where do you see AI's role in creative marketing? Well, I,
1: I, um, yeah, I think that we're actually seeing just the beginnings of AI and creativity come to light. Um, You know, you can look at uh, like Sotheby's just sold its first seven figure AI generated art. Um, in the last six months. Um, and then we see AI um, do, you know, writing things with platforms like OpenText and um, X.AI. Um, th- those platforms are, are actually creating content now and we're seeing art and creativity and then things like deepfakes. So it's all kind of a long way to say that we're, we're seeing it actually enter in, your AI enter into the creative space from a bunch of different angles. So I think we're at the beginning, um and there's lots whoops. Some question be allowed that type mm-hmm. of stuff, but just at the beginning, but it's like um uh the beginning of seeing it really permeate a lot of creativity aspects.
0: Would you um it's interesting this the seven figure art sale. I actually hadn't heard of that. I heard about NFTs being something, but yeah, um would you say that it's the 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 end result that, that was bought for seven figures or was it the algorithm that was bought for seven figures
1: well i that it, that is a good question i mean in this case the the um the output the the art piece was actually purchased for um you know for that amount um but i think you're maybe i don't know if you're asking me but i think that the more valuable piece is the tech that actually created the content because um, we're seeing more and more of, of uh of, it, of of that being interested like h- how do we well, actually replicate the human brain in a way
0: i mean i'll, I'll go and
1: see I
0: have to think the concept of art maybe it's beautiful is it a painting or something like that i don't know what it is I'm, I yeah, really yeah am, it is I'm, so now you got my you got my head going around and around <laughs> but
1: i love that, a painting? that i love that you're using that term is it beautiful because yeah. That's where the subjectivity comes in and like i don't really think that it's beautiful but like some people do and that's that's like a funny it's just a funny question because i think the definition of beauty is is what we're up against like what do people think like some people think that jackson pollock isn't beautiful you know but like i don't know it looks like splatter paint that like my
0: uh, and and, and art world has gone has, has gone away from beauty as a standard of high art right Beauty is, you know, looked down upon a little bit in terms of being a metric to measure. So craft is not nearly as, um, you know, uh, elevated as it once in earlier centuries was. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I was wondering if it was bought for its craft or if it's bought for the some sort of conceptual and how then was the concept concept created or was it just the concept itself of AI creating something? I, and then I was wondering, well, now what is it creating that made the the concept see so, seems so stupendous. So you got my, it's like a whole, it's a whole yeah. investigation. I'm going to, the minute I get off here, I'm going to be like going crazy, looking it up, yeah. see what's going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's, there are more and more um, folks who are manipulating AI to create or kind of curating AI content. Like AI created things to say, this is cool. This is a new, this is a new way of thinking. Um, or thinking in quotes, I guess. But um, yeah, I think that AI driven creativity is where we're headed, um, where AI can inspire or react to or assist humans. And then kind of the next version of of creating, because ultimately machines can't think, you know, machines don't have memory, they don't have emotions, those types of things. So all that they're doing is trying to replicate what humans have programmed to do in a way you know so uh humans i think are are the ultimate creators but then ai can be um, an assistant um, or a tool along that journey and then we'll see what the outcomes are
0: right now ai is pulling from data right so the data is is past information i mean even even if it's a a microsecond uh, in the past it's still past information so it's working on everything past right Mm -hmm. it's can it take what it, can it take deductions it's making and create that as future data
1: well that that's that's a question. like um i don't know is i guess the, the short answer it can predict but like when we talk to customers about our platform it has an accuracy rating associated with it so it's never 100% accurate so yes it can predict what the future will be but it's not at 100% And so if we tell, you know, any statistical model has some sort of error percentage in it, and that's where like there's a question or an issue. So like if you can create massive amounts of content that gets great results, but 5% of the time it doesn't make sense are you comfortable with that? Or what's your threshold? Does it have to be 99% or ninety nine and a half percent or something? And like, even humans make spelling errors or um, modify, like I think they're homophones, like there, there, and there, you know? So they might like uh-huh. spell them wrong. Um, and like, we are tolerant as humans of human spelling errors but it seems that when a machine makes the similar error, humans are like, see, ha, it's not accurate. I knew it wasn't gonna be accurate. You know, so it's the funny like we have an expectation that AI generated content or creativity generated by must to be a hundred percent accurate, but we like let humans make mistakes, but not machines.
0: Well, you know, um, I just
1: which yeah. actually no. well the,
0: the, the interesting thing that you know, you know, that you're talking about mistakes and humans make mistakes and then you know sometimes you know when a human makes mistakes, they internalize it and they like it, right? Yeah, and, we're that, right. I mean, yeah, and they and they, um, you know, for example, who could have predicted Little Nas doing, uh, you know, uh, that that uh, yes, right. country song, right? Yeah, other yeah. than himself, because he liked it, right? He had to have been playing around, experimenting, and decided he liked it. He said, yeah. and he said, well, I think other people will like it. And then he planned a whole thing. He did social media, did all sorts of stuff, right. and nobody would have given it any kind of possibility. Could AI have done that?
1: Well, n- I mean, no, not without human curation. Right. Like I think that we as humans have to understand what the mistakes are, whether they'll fit in or not fit in. And like from a marketing perspective, we have our to worry about our brand identities, those types of things. And so um, the variant or the variations, AI could generate those variants, but the human has to select um, what risks they want to take with those, with those variants. Um, so I, I think that you have to have the, inter- the human intervention um, from a creativity standpoint or how to position. And even what you just said about Lil Nas, um, which I love that we're talking about this, um, <laughs> um, but you know, he planned it. He planned yeah. a social media presence. He planned how to position it, those types of things. And all of that is the human experience that has to be curated or managed by a human, even if an AI bot or something... Computer generated was new enough or interesting enough. It has to be kind of positioned in the right way.
0: So that uh, you know that uh, I, you know that, that that it's a good. That was a nice little roundabout way to get to my question about what is uh, AI good at and what are humans good at. And I think that you know uh, you know the, I, the idea that uh, you know the, this curation is a good differentiation yeah. point, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, curation. You know, there, there's judgment in that. Um, you know, AI is not good at ethical decision-making, um, you know, they're like classic examples of now of like AI, um, in self-driving cars that can't tell the difference between like a snowman and a real person, um, mm-hmm. those types of things, um, in, you know, therefore would run over, <laughs> um, <laughs> really um, like you know, even though, and that's an interesting one because like humans kill a lot more people in vehicles than machines do, but the threat or the feeling is that like Cop's going to come and just annihilate your, your, your neighborhood or something, right. um, which is a real threat. I think a larger threat just to be really, to be fair, is ethics and um, AI, untrained AI or un- even trained AI can um, start to make um, pretty um, racist or misogynistic or otherwise just poor choices um, that could put yourself and your brand and our world at risk so um, you know that there's a lot of uh, questions regarding what AI is good at in regards to all sorts of other things but ethics I think has to be one of the top things is that, that
0: because the, is that because the the is that because the algorithms or the data have the the, uh, the, uh, the bias?
1: It's both because the the a, a lot of the for example the facial recognition algorithms that are being used widely have been on white male faces um, and can't recognize um, other types of faces and therefore it um, is either you know so then it it is is biased effectively towards one or more types of faces um, and without that training set rich in its um, representation there is uh, a gap and then the people who program the algorithms that go across that data set um, also tend to, um, you know, in the tech world, we send, we tend to see a certain type of person working there historically as well. So it's, there's um, representation problems in the data set itself, as well as with the programming of it. And so that creates some real problems. Um, I can go into all sorts of examples there, Um, but uh, you know, brands got to figure it out. So uh
0: in the current in the current parlance uh, parlance of today the AIs have, are colonizers. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean it's so. it's yeah. But the the tricky thing is that the human or the brand will be held accountable for it even if we say oh the AI did it or something. Nope, we're responsible for it.
0: And how how do you Pattern 89 deal with that ethical concern well, in your AI?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a really, really important piece of our business. Um, At at the core, we've made sure that our company and team, we, we have one of our core values is build a company that represents the country and so our team is half men and half women it's 25 of black and people of color so we've got just people um, who are working on these problems Um, the second is we um, remove all racial and um, ethnic markers from our data so that means that we can't always answer all the questions but because we don't have the data set or the ai trained on that data set we uh, can't answer questions of like will a hispanic person work better in this ad if they're sitting on the couch? Or will a Black person work better? We, don't, we won't answer that question because we don't trust the data enough to answer it. Um, and then the third is we have an AI council that uh, takes all these examples from our team as well as customers and reviews them on a quarterly basis because we don't have all the answers. Um, But we want to get there. And so we're uh, working on that, um, you know, really on a daily basis. But on a quarterly basis, we kind of take a snapshot in time. And the AI Council looks at all these examples and figures out how can we tweak, how can we change, how can we update to get to a better place where we could accurately answer those questions in a way that's respectful and uh, appropriate. Fabulous.
0: So um, when we come back, we will... uh, We will. We'll finish up with a little bit more about AI's place in the world and Pattern eight nines uh, dealing with it. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy. Host of the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast, and my guest, RJ Taylor. Um, so, uh, RJ, what do you think the most successful marketing teams will be doing in one year and in five years?
1: <laughs> well, in, in one year, they'll have completed their kind of first test runs of AI as a part of their marketing stack. Um, you know, now is the time to have those experiments in place, try things. Um, because you know, in, in five years, the marketing team that hasn't done that isn't working at that company anymore. <laughs> um, You've yeah. been left behind. Um, you know, I I, uh, I worked in the mobile space when the iPhone first came out. And in 2007, and one of my fame, I have very few, but one is that I was Third in line for uh, an iPhone um, when they first came out, and at that time, twelve percent of the U.S. population had a smartphone device like that was an internet powered. They were all Blackberries back at that time, and nowadays we talk about mobile marketing just as part of our marketing stack, and that's from just from two thousand seven to twenty twenty. Like crazy, how much things have changed in fourteen years. And I think in five years, nobody's going to be asking you, like, hey, what's your AI strategy for marketing? (laughs) Everyone's just going to be assuming that it's embedded. And um, in the same way that you don't say, hey, what's your mobile marketing strategy? You just say, what's your marketing strategy? And, of course, it's mobile. In five years, we're going to be saying, tell me about your marketing strategy. And, of course, you're using AI. So.
0: I agree with you. I think that, you know, and, and SEO, especially since I think COVID has just accelerated dramatically. I mean, yep. I would probably mean thinking about all the AI stuff that we're doing now for yes. SEO uh, if, that ha- if it hadn't happened. So I yes. agree with you. What do you think your uh, mo- uh, evolution will be to meet that changing marketplace? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, you know, t- today we um, predict um, and analyze creative across some channels, um, doing it across all channels at that point. So um, we can understand, you know, what, uh, you know, as we think about marketers, think about all the different touch points that a marketer might experience our brand we will have built our software out so that it, can analyze and predict across all those touch points with nuanced um, answers across each of them. I also think that our platform will go from just um, creating recipes to actually executing those recipes, meaning using natural language generation or NLG, as well as GANs, which are those um, uh, those those application or the application of AI that actually can generate. Content that meets the recipe, so it'll be auto-generated content, auto-generated um, imagery, auto-generated um, gem, auto-generated video um, based on that recipe, and then it'll really be about curation, ethical judgment, emotional um, review, and brand management um, on the marketing side. So um, we'll we'll have built it out to that point. Who should
0: reach out to you right now and well, work with you?
1: Well, you know, um, uh, we we work with about half. Often brands and agencies, and um, so if you're a you know director of digital or um, um, a head of creative um, at a brand or a digital uh, a digital marketing agency, you should talk to us, or you should be investigating the space. We have. A number of different free words, resources, or I can point you to some great groups like the Marketing AI Institute, um, just because everybody needs to be learning about this stuff. But um, brands or agencies that um, are, you know, really want to stay ahead of, of uh, the, the, the coming trends on AI.
0: Cool. And how does somebody uh, you know, follow you or contact you?
1: Yeah, pattern89.com is the best spot there. Um, you can also email me. I'm RJ at pattern89.com um, and I'll get you to the right place or answer your questions directly. So um, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and we um, we post some fun stuff out there because we can cull all of that um, uh, creative data and then find um, all sorts of random things like uh, what ice cream is going to be trending or those types of things. So it's kind of a fun uh, follow as well. Cool.
0: Well, thank you for being on our show today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I Uh, appreciate it. Very informative uh, and
0: very interesting. And you've given me a lot of things to go look up now.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll I'll be down at at your motel here sometime soon. So I can't wait to see. That'll be good. You're always welcome. Thank you
0: um, So I just want to close and remind you that I am uh, you can go to wisecontentcreateswealth.com to find out more about this podcast. You can also see the live zoom stream on uh, uh, facebook.com/ wise creates wealth. We're on the talk radio NYC network for live audio every Friday from 1 to 2. Uh, and uh, I recommend uh, you to come on and listen to us. There's also a lot of other great shows on this network, all live. I think the one that precedes, precedes us is Entrepreneurial Web, which is a, is a, is a decent, uh, uh, really nice show um, uh, talking for, for small businesses and understanding things that you can do to be successful. Uh, my company uh, since 2014 is, is Galileo of Tech Media has provided a suite of global clients managed seo and content marketing services ensuring maximum visibility and organic search with locations in new york city and charleston south carolina and a team of seo and content experts spanning the world we offer a nimble and data-driven approach to content marketing accompanying seo uh, semantic research and, and, and optimization, technical um, marketing skills in, in, in SEO and, uh, and web uh, technologies and uh, topical clusters and uh, other various aspects of, uh, of, of complex marketing online. Uh, we work in competitive multi-location industries like travel, hospitality, and resta- resta- real estate. And our clients have included Marriott International, Ritz-Carlton, Starwoods, um, travel Leaders, Better Homes and Gardens, Neuter and uh, Schnabel and, uh, and various other uh, uh, companies in uh, the travel, real estate, uh, B2B and um, multi-location space. Uh, we were created to meet the needs of a changing workforce. Taking inspiration from Galileo Galilei's passion for freedom of inquiry, our firm was founded based upon science, creativity, independence and freedom. Our networks of global professionals are experts in SEO and content marketing who enjoy the freedom of, of flexible working opportunities. And now we're also well engaged in podcasting and multiple um, ways to put your content out there. And uh, we uh, look forward to uh, anybody reaching out to us. at techmedia.com or email me at com. And look forward to seeing you all next week. Uh, for Wise Content Creates Wealth Podcast. Thank you.